Hey, you, Prime members, you can listen to Three Little Words ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This podcast is brought to you by Quorn, the nation's favourite meat-free brand. Quorn is a great partner for this show because their products have been in our house for years because I'm a vegetarian, so it's always in my fridge. For every episode, we learn something new about our partner, Quorn. Uh, it's delivered to us in, as a quack from yeah. Tony. Yeah, I'm just going to delin into it for you. This is week's quack... Is that how I say delivered? Delivered, yeah. yeah. Uh, this week's Quorn quack is that Quorn has served more meals than any meat alternative brand ever. Over 7 billion servings. That's about one meal for every single person on this planet. That is a massive, massive fact to have when you consider that it's now quite cool to be vegan and vegetarian. But it wasn't when I first started 35 years ago. There no. hardly any brands knocking about. So that's a massive, massive you thing. You were a know. trend leader, weren't you? I was. In yeah. fact, it was me who changed everyone else's mind. Yeah, yeah it's me that's delivered the quacks, though, isn't it? Yeah. Let's yeah. be right. Let's be right. So if you're going vegan, vegetarian, or just cutting down on meat a bit, you'll find that Quorn is a great option because they've got so many different products from cocktail sausages to Turkish-style kebab. There's something for everyone. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Hello, I'm John Bishop and welcome to Three Little Words. On this podcast, we get a guest to come in with three words that mean something to them that will hopefully allow us to learn something about them, their world, their life and their, their worldview. I'm here with uh, my friend and co-host, Tony Pitts, who's an actor, writer and knows more about words than anyone else. Tony knows all the guest words in advance. I don't. So he also helps explain the words to the people. That's a fair assessment, isn't it? What's the word, John, that describes the meaning of words that we have on every podcast? What's that word? I call it etiology. You um, say it's etiology. No, I don't say it. I say it's etymology, which etymology. is what it is. Okay, I'm just wondering if we got any further with that. Etymology. No, I'm, not. I'm convinced that everybody in the world's got it wrong, and etymology is the best of it. Etymology is a lovely fella. <laughs> a lovely, a lovely man. So our guest today, who I'm so glad to have in because I've never ever seen her in a bad mood and I mean that genuinely not only as a a lovely person but also one of the most successful recording artists that we've ever had as a female artist she's co-written 11 number ones which is more than any other female artist sold over 100 million records it is Mel C Hey, how you doing? Actually, Mel, can I just ask you, the Mel C, do you like the Mel C or would you like people to say your proper surname? Do you know what? It's funny because I have a few names. Um, Obviously, lots of people know me as Sporty Spice, which I don't mind. And for a long time, I didn't like Mel C because to me, it just made me think of 
tabloid stories because they always, it was Mel C, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, as an artist, I present myself as Melanie C, but I have never thought to use my surname. One, because people can never say it, right? I know. And two, it's not that sexy. Chisholm, right? Yeah, and it sounds a bit like dog spunk. Chisholm? Sounds like dog spunk. (laughs) Jism, right? Tell me about Jism. As you you walked in, I didn't think it was Mel... Dog spunk. What we first thought. Well, Chiz Home, if I, uh, this is a guess just from etymology. Uh, chiz is cheese and home is a Viking word for Ireland. So you're Cheese Island. Oh, dog spunk. It's not that far yeah. away. <laughs> so welcome, well, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Dog spunk, Cheese Island. Yeah, so I, I think I'll just leave that one. But it's weird because, like, you know, I see, like, Mel C, Melanie C, Sports Spice as my public persona yeah. and yeah. Melanie Chisholm is kind is of you? who I really am. No, yeah. no, and I or get who that. I am at home. It you know blurs, I mean? right? It yeah. blurs. That's it. Oh, interesting. But friends of mine that work in business have taken on different names, and then that becomes a separate entity. And psychologically, as time goes by, it all becomes a little confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see the mentalism as a different, different. Because I think I first met you. You were pregnant. It was at a Liverpool game, and yes. it was, it was. What are you? What are the you, dog spunkers. <laughs> fundamentally changed the nature of the next it's, it's, hour. Yeah, I'll try spunk. to recover. But, but you know, I met you there, and and like I was being introduced to Sporty Spice, but I wasn't. I was I was meeting a young lady who was with her dad, who was at a football match, who was pregnant, and all of a sudden you were melanitism, and I've always been able to see that. One thing I've got to ask you as well before we move on, because it, it does come right back to, to your name or your public persona, you are, like, I just give you a hug outside, and you're always very strong, and I've always, you're always fit, you're always training. Is that because you can't be called Sporty Spice and be fat? <laughs> well, I have been a little bit more chubby, shall we say. Yeah. But um, you know what? I have always been active. As a kid, I did loads of sports. I danced you know, all through growing up, I went to performing arts college. So I've always been really active. You know, I've, I've had my moments and, you know, the weight's gone up and down a little bit. But um, I've realised that I am an active person. I'm a very physical person. And if I'm not doing that, yeah, yeah. then I, I kind of feel a little bit, you know, not myself. It, no, it's interesting because I think, you know, like me and Tony sometimes train together, although Tony's into his boxing so mm. he comes round does boxing and then it, never it, it's, getting, it's getting a little bit like he comes round takes his shirt off and goes let's do boxing and then all of a sudden it ends up wrestling have I ever hit uh, it's getting a bit homoerotic no, no, isn't it now within it I mean you can physically see the man there's something within it but I don't mind it I don't mind it because it's exercise and there's one thing that's what you never talk about the kissing do you it's always it's always about the rolling under the floor you always get a kiss and it's always on the lips no, but what I mean is that, that I, I totally get what you're saying in terms of that balance of mental health and physical exercise. As you were talking there, I had an operation on my leg about uh, two years ago. The process for recovery as you get older is harder. Yeah. And the the option to not push yourself gets easier. And there's a tipping point, isn't it? If you don't, as you say, four or five days, if you don't exercise, you can't be arsed today. And the next thing you know, it's harder to break yeah. out of it. You're laying on a park bench and we're covered in vodka and, <laughs> no, and dog spunk. There is, <laughs> there 
is that thing though, isn't it? Because like like as you start it, it's just harder to get motivated. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I asked you about the label Sporty Spice. Mm-hmm. Because it is something that was attributed to you as a as a young lady that all of a sudden comes with an association of everything else that that you've got to be athletic, you've got to be into your personal fitness. Yeah. And I, th- I just wondered whether that ever applied the pressure. Like a pressure. You know, I don't think it did. I think I rebelled against it at one point. But now, I mean, this is this is interesting because it's kind of getting into some yeah. of the words I've chosen okay, and the reasons good. I've chosen them. But yeah, I think initially I was given my nickname because I wore sports clothes. Yeah. It was just a silly throwaway thing. It was actually in Top of the Pops magazine, but it stuck and then... You know, oh, everybody yeah. knows us. Well, you said it gives yeah. us an insight into your words. So, so tell us what your first word is. My first word is perfect. Ah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Tony, Tony, uh, well, tell okay. us the etymology of it. Uh, well, I'll, we'll do that and then I'll have a go at the etymology. But I'll, <laughs> I'll start off with a definition, if I can, which is the oldest definition of perfect or perfection is Aristotle and his book of metaphysics. And there's three meanings of the term which have led to subsequent abstract conversations about this word, uh, and it spins out into religion, mathematics. uh, It spins out, the idea of perfection spins out into so many abstract ways of thinking. He defined this being three different ways defining perfection. One is that which is complete, which contains all the requisite parts, that which is good, that nothing of the kind could be better, and then that which has attained its purpose. So there's the three means of it. There's the ethical question of perfection concerns whether or not man is perfect, not whether a man is perfect, but whether he should be. So that's the consideration. And then I've got a couple of quotes, and I've got a feeling this is just instincts about you, Mel, that one of them is really going to land with you. One is Tolstoy. If you look for perfection, you'll never be happy. Number two, Darley. Have no fear of perfection, because you'll never reach it. Perfection of character, this is Marcus Aurelius, perfection of character is this, to live each day as if it were your last, without frenzy, without apathy, and without pretense. Mm. Mm. So perfect. Yeah, so perfect. I mean, you've pretty much answered it, but I thought, is there such a thing? Is there it's, such it's, a thing? It's a huge debate. Mm-hmm. So I think I spent a lot of my you know, the beginning of being with the Spice Girls, it was obviously your whole world is thrown upside down. And it was the first time in my life that I'd really been aware of other people's opinions of me. I think now because of social media, we're all a victim of just, that. Just remind everybody how old we were at that point. So we got together in 1994, that made me 20, but then Wannabe came out in 1996, yeah. so I was 22. Which, at the time, you think you're all grown up and you know it all, don't you? Well, but, there's nothing you don't know at 22. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what you think. But then I think as you get older, you realise, wow, that is so young, you know, and so vulnerable as well. And I just dealing with all of these incredible things that were happening to us and those weird things you've got to deal with too. I started to feel guilty. I started to feel guilty about my success and about making money. And I also felt like I had to be perfect to deserve it. And so I started on this, you know, striving for perfection, which ended up making me really ill. Um, when you say striving for perfection, in, in what way? Whose view of perfection? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? 
your own view of perfection. What is perfection? And for me, obviously, it was the first time I was being photographed a lot. My appearance was being criticised. My personality was being criticised, you know. So I think it's a it's a time when you really are influenced by everything around you. And so I felt quite bombarded with that and I found it really confusing. So, yeah, this... I mean, I think I am a failed perfectionist and I'm comfortable with that now. That's fine. You know, I'm not striving for that anymore because I don't believe perfection exists. No. So this idea of, of you you were striving for perfection once you were in that environment where you thought it was important. As a child growing up, you've obviously pushed yourself to even be in that position. Yeah. Did you have a perception of yourself in terms of you're different than everyone else in your class and you want to be, better is not the right phrase, but you want to develop yourself in a different way than, than perhaps other people expected of you? I did feel different right. to people and I've, I'm dead determined. I always have been and I, I wanted to, to succeed and, you know, I, I don't know what the reasons are for that. You know, I've obviously had lots of therapy and I've examined that and, you know, and obviously our childhoods mould us, don't they? So I, uh, my parents divorced when I was about, I think I was about two and a half, three years old. And I think I've just always been searching, you know, for their approval. I think probably lots of people, successful oh, uh, people have that story, most, don't they? Most, yeah. most, most want, a, 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 I think most, I don't know if it's gender specific, most men I know are looking for their dad to say you're a good lad. Yeah. And they build empires but on, on the back of that. And do you think their fathers know that? I think that, uh, it's, we're, again, it's something we've touched on before, I think that, that our fathers, I'm 58, John's a similar-ish age, I think that our fathers had no use for emotional intelligence and we're, we're all victims of victims, so they didn't, uh, they lost lots of children in those days, so the attachments weren't the same, and then, then our generation comes along and we tell our kids that we love them, we love them, we love them, we love them. All very true. And very interesting, like, growing up, I don't remember, you know, I had a really happy childhood. I'm a little bit younger than you, so you're both looking great, by the way. Oh, so are you. Thank you. (laughs) Boxing. (laughs) 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 But, you know, growing up in the 80s, in the North West, working class background, I don't remember parents saying they loved you you know I say it to my parents and they say it back to me all the time now and I must say it to my little girl about 25 times a day you know drive them out but it's funny isn't it how that just little shift in cultures happened within a generation I think yeah I think that people get what they think they deserve in life so you see people getting into disruptive patterns bad patterns and they repeat that pattern because essentially that's what they think they deserve because you've got that you've that template of working class graph that you grew up in. I've got a graph for this. Yeah. I've got a and I've got to be absolutely. I've got to deserve it. Yeah. You're going to exhaust. Mm. That's an exhausting combination mm. of it, of traits it, and events. It, it is, is when 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 what happens to you is so massive. You could never graft enough. No. To balance that that off against what you and as you said, you you shared a couple of things. One feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Guilty about your own success which I think is, again, a working-class trait because if you find yourself in those environments with people who are entitled, perhaps not the right way, but are educated from an early age that they actually deserve this, you know, they they, they believe they can do it. I remember I I had a conversation once of all people with David Cameron. I met him at this thing. Dave. Yeah, Dave. DC, as we like to call him. And uh, I, I was just at this event, and he'd actually been to my school. 
so it was my what well, visited your school he visited my right. school because my school was a failing school and it failed for decades and so they turned it into an academy and and you know it stopped getting made down it started yeah. doing well and it started you know because it'd been rebuilt three times yeah did well kids were it was just one of those things different structure new headmaster so they went to promote academy schools and he went to my school and uh, and it was it, I mean it was funny because he tried to do an assembly and he, he walked and he was like hello hello yeah, he said I believe I believe one of your old boys is John Bishop and all the kids went what's a fucking old boy an old boy an old boy's a man you dickhead so he um, anyway but I got talking to him and I, and I thought right I've got I'm having a conversation with, and he was the saving prime minister at the yeah, time with the yeah, prime minister and I yeah. said listen I've got to ask you I said you lot from Eton I said, do you have lessons in being a prime minister? Does someone sit you down and say, he said, no, what you get is instilled yes. the fact that you can choose that path if you want. And we get instilled into us that it is public service, but you, you, you're you able to do it. And he said, I, I can see yeah. that that's not said to everybody. No. And wow. there's that thing within yourself where you go, I'm, I'm all of a sudden getting this and do I deserve it? And to deserve it, I've got to now try and be perfect. Like worthy of it. Yeah. That's so funny. You just made me think about, and I, I, can, I keep getting, like, this has been happening to me recently. Maybe it's since the pandemic and we've all had a lot more time to just sit and, and be still with ourselves. But I keep getting, like, really strong visuals, you know, of, like, memories. Yes. And childhood memories yes, and yes. things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting... When you were talking, I was sitting in, the, we had this block, I think it was like the sixth form block or something, speaking to the careers officer and him saying to me, yeah, but, you know, what, what's your fallback plan? Because I wanted to go to Performing Arts College mm -hmm. and I got a I got a place in a, you know, in a really prestigious school. You know, I did really well, but you, ne you never felt like you got taken seriously. Yeah, but what do you really want no, to do? Yeah. yeah, but it's, I was just going to pick up on exactly that. There's two things in the culture. So the, the Eaton's culture is you can do, you can be what you want to be. They are groomed to, for leadership. That's what they're groomed for. In ours, there's two pressures. There's the poppy syndrome where the people around you say immediately, oh, I. Yeah. But that's yeah, but yeah. that's in the that's within the streets that we live. Mm, yeah. And then it's as you said that then I'd felt a little shudder down me back because I uh, 1978 there were 2,600 kids in my school, 62 kids in my English class, and I went to see that careers master and he said, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "I want to be an actor or a writer. That's all I think I, I can be." And he said, "Hang on a minute." And he got a piece of paper out and I took it out and it was to go to into Sheffield to get a job as a buffer, which is somebody who polishes spoons. A buffer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was before you go around that rabbit hole. That was my grandmother's job. There you go. Mm. We've all in. So, so, yeah. so, this, this, you could have been a perfect buffer. Hey. <laughs> but for you, that you, you've chose the word. Is it something related to that time in your life, or is it something that's always been. Because you said, and I thought it was a great phrase, I'm a failed perfectionist. At some point, you've forgiven yourself. Mm -hmm. When did that happen? I think it's been a gradual process. A little bit like my next word, which we'll speak to, which we'll come to shortly. Yeah, I think it's just experience, isn't it? And just learning about the world and learning about yourself and learning about your limits and learning that you want to live. You know, it's to always be striving for perfection is 
you know, it's exhausting. I think the best quote was right at the beginning where Tony said, it was a, yeah. uh, Plato said, nothing of its kind could be better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a brilliant quote because mm-hmm. that forgives yeah. you by saying, I am the only one of my kind and I am as good as I can be and with then, all the limitations I've got. A, and that is yeah. perfect. And, and, yeah. there's a, yeah. and there's a release. And there's a release because, again, I, I'm assuming, um, maybe wrongly, but uh, you're both from Liverpool, so assumedly you had a, a Catholic upbringing. You know, there was a, Catholicism was strong around mm-hmm. you, right? So yeah. that's, a, that's a very... Uh, and I, I can usually spot my Catholic friends before I make them. Because you've been offered, very clearly been offered a template a template of of ways to live and ways to be. And then we all know none of us can meet templates that are offered. We can only be ourselves. So you immediately set up attention in an individual because you're trying to get to some perceived idea of how you should be. But it's an interesting thing to ask you as as a female artist, because at the time, particularly, you know, the girl power and all the rest of it, you were someone else's view of perfect, yeah. even though you weren't your own view of perfect. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that responsibility and that pressure? You know what? It's such a head fuck because I felt guilty again for yeah. years because during that time with the Spice Girls, I had an eating disorder. And for me, that was failure. I'd failed. I think a lot of it was control because my life was so out of control. It was a way of doing that. And I thought, God, I'm here talking about girl power and I am so weak. I have I don't I don't have power. You know, I'm I'm a victim of this thing. And as I've got older and, and I've spoken about it and you know, at times I've regretted talking about my problems with depression, mental health issues. And I think when you are vulnerable it is difficult to talk about, especially because, you know, working in the business that we do, you get asked the same yes. things yeah. over and over Absolutely. again and you can spend hours in a day talking about it and it gets fucking depressing yeah. when you get the feedback from people and now it helps them now i feel really proud of myself and mm. i feel for years i felt really regretful of the things that had happened to me or the things that i've been through and now i'm not because i think that life experience obviously has made me this person yeah. and it's just given me this insight and it's given me this gift to help other people I mean, I've forgiven myself now, and you know, obviously, it's it's been a long time, and it and it's a slow process, and I think you know, it's always there. I mean, especially with something like depression, I know that will never go away. Mm. I know how to look after myself to, you yeah. know, to keep it at bay. Do you think, you know, you you talk about depression as something that will never go away? Mm-hmm. It's part of you. Is it part of Mel C or Melanichism? If you did not live this life. Do you think this was an inevitable part of your DNA? I don't, actually. I think it's definitely circumstantial, would that be yeah. the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was diagnosed with depression, I was so shocked. I was so relieved because I thought, oh, my God, oh, it's got yeah, a name. Yeah, yeah, And, and it can, I can I'd be made one. better, I'd you know? Yeah, yeah, and... I just was shocked because I never, I'm quite happy to go, look at, you know, he said I'm always yeah, in a good yeah, mood. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, we all have our down days, don't we? But uh, yeah, I never thought I would have clinical depression. Again, to, to have some form of depression is psychologically a way of reacting to all the, all the things that are going on. It's almost something that I found over time, I get anxiety more than depression. What, uh, and it'll always be there. She said, always be there. But my feeling is that I recognise it now more. Yeah. And when I'm in the middle of it, I, I know now it's not there forever. 
Yeah. Whereas at that time, it feels like it's yeah. you're in That's and it. you're never getting out. I think the scariest thing for me about depression, when my lowest point was probably around the millennium, and that was when you know before I'd sought any help about anything. So like my body, my body took over my mind at yeah. that point, and yeah. I I just broke down, yeah. and it was like you know my body was saying to me, "We've got to sort this shit out now. I'm taking it out of your hands, basically." And you know there were moments where I didn't know whether I would get through it. No. But now I just, you know, obviously I did, thank goodness, live to tell the tale. And, you know, I just feel like even on those darkest days, there was always that little spark. It was always there. You know, sadly, you know, some people don't Don't. find that. But now I feel grateful that it was there. And some days it was hard and some days I couldn't find it. But now I know, and this this is another little thing I've been talking about recently as well with like mood, depression, anxiety, all of those things. It's like nothing stays the same. Everything passes. The sun's always there. That's the best analogy ever. The one that helped me more than any other. Somebody said to me once... When the clouds are over your head, it's all dark, and all you can see is absolute darkness. The sun's always there. Mm-hmm. It's always getting a plane. It's always yeah. above the clouds. It's not that there's no sun; mm-hmm. just that you can't see it. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. funny. My, my, we, you know, we, before we did the show, we were chatting about tattoos because we've all got tattoos. And my wife's got a tattoo on her arm that says, uh, "This too shall pass." Yeah. Mm. And it's for that. It's powerful, to, you don't you need, need to yeah. react to everything that you feel right yeah. now. Just yeah. hold on. Yeah. Sit still. You're doing okay. It'll pass. Yeah, totally. Because the good stuff passes. Yeah. Well, that's one of those. So that's one of those phrases. This too will pass. That in 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 abstraction is they think well yeah of course it'll be everything passes but when you're under when you're really under it it's and sad, some, and it? somebody says to you no if somebody says to you this too shall pass because I've had it said it helps the truth of that statement is very powerful I think. Perfect with your first word, Valerie. Yes. I'm desperate now to know <laughs> what, you, what your second word is. My second word is acceptance. I kind of felt that that was coming, mm-hmm. the yeah. way we've been talking. Us, most words that we find in the Islam was Indo-European basis, and then it Latin, Greek, and then Latin to the present day. And it's made up of two bits, the a and the scepter, a means two, and scepter, kapir, means to take. The original meaning was to grasp. The definition of the word is a quality or state of being accepted or acceptable. There's a definition, I'll be fascinated to hear your Ooh. take on that. Yeah. And the two quotes, one's good, other, the other one's amazing. The first quote is William James, acceptance of what has happened is the first step to overcoming the consequences of any misfortune. And George Orwell says and this has real resonance for me happiness can only exist in acceptance definitely that is a fantastic quote yeah so in my strive for perfection (laughs) i learned maybe there is perfection in acceptance in the acceptance of of, oneself of oneself Mm. yes because then you're not looking for the template or the external validation Mm -hmm. you're just accepting that but but you're not also in that situation Where, where where you where you're seeking perfection in yourself was the period where you it made you see deficiencies in others, saying like you're you know I'm trying to be perfect, you're failing, you're not even trying, and is the is the part of the acceptance that maybe nobody is striving for that that perfection. I think my personal journey 
has been so self-centered I've been so caught up in what's going on inside me and I have this thing and I, I think lots of people probably do probably a lot of women where you think everybody knows better than you you know, mm. and you're the one mm. failing yeah. or mm. there's something wrong with you or you're not right. Acceptance for me has taken such a long time to find and it has been a gradual process. But last year was like this epiphany. I had this moment. I was on stage at Wembley Stadium with the girls and I, I just realised that I am capable of so much. And it wasn't being on stage in front of 70,000 no. people. It was all of my fears about going back into that environment. You know, I had had a hard time the first time round, And it, there was all these triggers and all these emotions and all these things I was revisiting. But I faced those fears. I got up on stage. I was scared about being sporty again. I thought, I'm 46. Can I jump around and sing wannabe? You know, what am I thinking? But I did it and it felt very natural. And there was an incredible reaction to what we were doing from our audience. So it just enabled me to kind of look at my, what I deem to be failures, you know, all my experiences, my successes, my weaknesses. And I just thought, bloody hell, girl, it's time to accept all these things. That's what happens. Life teaches you how to live it. Yeah. And in the end, I think that, that that acceptance gets taken out of your own hands because you, there's too much evidence building up around you that you can't be that bad. Yeah, Do you know totally. What I mean? you, just, you get to the point where you go, because everything I've ever done is shit, right? Everything I've ever written is shit. Every acting I've ever done is shit. It's yeah. fucking embarrassing to talk early and I can't, fuck, I can't face it. <laughs> and then there comes a point and it's a great relief when you go, you know what, it's fucking nothing to do with me. You know what, it's an interesting thing because when I'm coming into show business late, coming into stand-up late, I was a fully-fledged person, an adult, I thought, coming into it. You know, I wasn't 22 like you or, you know, similar age like you going through that soap experience. So I, I was a grown man. But then all of a sudden I'm doing something that people are, are paid money to criticise. Mm -hmm. So critics will come in. Mm. And, and at first I was thinking, oh, that, that's awful, that's awful. And for a good few years I would seek out the, the, the yeah. bad, you know. I, I mean, I can do it now. The next tour I do, I can write the review that's going to be written by that tour by certain journalists because I know what they think of mm -hmm. me. But I've got over it because what I what I did is I reached that point, as you said, I go, hang on a minute, there's like five critics out there and a yeah. couple of them don't like me, but there's thousands and thousands of people who are paying money. So surely they're the people I, 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 I direct my attention to. And when it mm -hmm. comes right down to this acceptance and perfection and so on, there's a point where you have to go, as you said, Tony, and f summed it up perfectly, I can't be doing too bad. Cause all, and if you're stood in front of 70,000 people, and I know it's not the number, and I know it's not that euphoria of the moment, it's that moment where you go, I've achieved enough to be here today mm -hmm. but this this bit of acceptance you, you you mentioned before you know your therapy and all the rest of it is the a little bit where your journey to acceptance requires external validation or a guide through therapy or, or meditation or whatever or do you think it's a it, it's it's a it's a journey that only comes with time because when you reach a certain age you look in the mirror in a different way yeah, I, I think finding it externally is dangerous. Yeah. Because you can rely on it. You That's know? why I asked you the question. Yeah. And, and I just think it really, truly has to be within. And it's, you know, when I speak to young people and... 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know, obviously we all have our lives to live and, and the, the turmoil that you go through, whether it be through your teens, your early 20s, and it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because you just, I mean, you know, you've got kids, haven't you? You've all grown up now. And you just, you know, I, I just want to say you are enough you know you're just brilliant yeah you're not like her or you're not like him but you're you and it's it's hard because you know you've been you've had that journey and they have yet to have it and sometimes it feels like a waste don't you find it difficult though when you when you when you as as a as an individual to your own child or children you're also you've got this public persona so they go yeah but you're a pop star so i want to be a pop star how do I become a pop star? You know, I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know whether I'm going to answer your question, but it's just made me think about people's, like, what people see. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I think people look at, you know, probably all of us here, and they go, well, she's all right. Yeah, yeah boxed off. And it's like, no no yeah. one's all right. We're all all right, but everyone's got shit going on. Yeah. You know, whether it's family issues, financial issues, health issues, do you mm. know what I mean? Every family, every human... There's always challenges and we have to, you know, and again, going back to the pandemic, because it's been so big in our lives this year, is that it's given us an opportunity to kind of experience the same thing at the same time, which is so rare. Yes. And I found, do it like reaching out to my fans, because, you know, I'm so lucky from being a Spice Girl, I have an international fan base. And it's just been incredible to, to have that connection with people. And I think it's made us feel more empathetic to it, towards when each other. When you said yes. reach out to your fans, in what way? I started doing live Q&As on, I think we did them on like YouTube and Instagram stories. And there was days when, you know, the beginning of lockdown, we, we were all like all over the place, weren't we? We, we were scared, you know, mm. we didn't know what the future held. We worried about our loved ones, ourselves. And so some days were quite dark days and I was like, I can't be arsed. I don't want to sit here and be all jolly and be melty. And I did it because I said I was going to do it. You know, the fans were waiting for it. And the response I got for them, you know, through social media, 
was how much it helped them, how much they appreciated it, how much they looked forward to it. And from hearing that, that really gave me a lot. And so it just became like this cycle of giving and helping and supporting when we were all in some kind of isolation. So it's been a really a really positive thing through it's, this It's shit. interesting to me that because when, when we went into this lockdown, like this podcast evolved from us being in lockdown yeah. and me and Tony just having a chat together going, God, we'll have to try we're and think of something. Stop the wrestling. <laughs> yeah, we'll stop, stop the wrestling. wrestling. <laughs> How can we wrestle with yeah. social distancing? Put your what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Put your shirt on. <laughs> Put your Mel, mask on. Yeah, Mel's asking questions. <laughs> yeah, but we, you know, we're talking about doing something else and did the podcast and this, this, the idea behind this podcast and what I like about this podcast, what I like about podcast per se, is the fact that you know, I think the figures and someone will correct me on this, but I, I, I'm not far wrong. Where 85 percent of people who listen to podcasts listen to them with headphones on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a very private experience. Intimate yeah. and immediate. And it's intimate. Yeah. But I know every time I listen to a podcast, I feel less lonely than I did before I put the headphones on yeah. because you're in a conversation. Mm-hmm. And in some respects, yeah. I can completely relate to what you're saying, that you're doing something that you think, oh, this might be a bit of a laugh, but all of a sudden means more than you could have thought. Yeah. But the other yeah. thing where I wanted to bring it back to acceptance was I had an incredible year last year, obviously with the girls, and then going on to work with Sync the Pink, who are creative collective, LGBTQ plus community, who I work very closely with, I'm an ally of, I'm very proud to be. And I'd never worked that closely Mm. with this community before and so I learned about people growing up the different environments that they'd grown up in the different struggles and challenges that they'd had to face and it was so fucking humbling and it was I knew I'd go out with these girls and I would have a good time and it was going to be fun and we were going to experience some mad stuff all over the world but it was quite profound the effect it had on me it almost made me well it didn't almost it did make me accept myself Mm. even more it took my self-acceptance to another level why I think because of the challenges learning about the challenges that young people have to face you know whether you know they're gay or trans you know non-binary whatever community they they feel they belong to and I think also because you know all of that self-doubt within the Spice Girls I never I never saw myself as a gay icon you know we we do have this huge you know following from this community but you know the, the drag queens that I was working with they absolutely they put me on a pedestal you are an icon you know you are our gay icon and i, I just felt like i'm, I'm, I'm enough but can i just say within that pop world the idea of a of an icon or a supporter of the lgbtq however other letters, letters are going to it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that LGBT community, there are icons, there are people who actually mean an enormous amount to them because they're the posters on the walls. They're mm-hmm. they're the person that when that child has got no one to talk to in the playground because you don't understand, they're the person as we were saying Listen, before yeah. that you will latch onto in your head. And hope that one day you'll cross paths, and that's when you ha- do have that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a reference, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's seeing, it's you, seeing yourself represented in the culture is fucking huge. Because mm. if you don't see people who look like you, or think like you, or dress like you, or have your outlook on life, you're isolated, and then you turn in on yourself, and then you start to, uh, then we're off on that journey. 
So you didn't realise until that moment when you were when you were with uh, Sink the Pink that you you I mean you must have known that you were a regarded as a gay icon for once of a better phrase yeah i mean you know obviously we, we talked about the questions about my sexuality so i've always had a lot of of gay female fans yeah. as a solo artist i've been aware of that and of course you know a lot of gay fans that have followed me from the spice girls but i think it's that thing as well like always putting yourself down I, you know i'd always thought oh no the other girls are you know much more you know whether it's more being more flamboyant or being more camp or being more appropriate being more. to be an act being more, more yes yeah. for that community yeah. who am i i'm always this this quote is is mentioned quite a lot but there was a quote or there's a something that was written about the spice girls i don't know who wrote it i can't even remember what newspaper it was in but many many years ago when we first came out and they described me as the plain one at the back who doesn't do much and that always stuck with me even till I was you know doing what I was doing last year and then I realised I am enough I am so yeah that level of self-acceptance but there's another side I think to acceptance where our acceptance because I often talk about you know because people ask me you know being an ally to the LGBTQ plus community people ask me about oh do I think things have improved do I think things have changed you can't speak for the whole world, mm-hmm. you know, because everywhere, every community is different, you know, households can be different. And of course, things have improved, but we are very lucky living in London, you know, because, you know, it's very cosmopolitan and there's a lot of acceptance. Now, when it's used like that, I think it's really patronising. Because, I mean, what do you mean? You ex- well, I accept that you're gay. I yeah. accept that you're trans. Do you know what I mean? Who are we yeah, well, yeah, to yeah. have the power to accept that? Yeah, it's that handing over to others the the power to discriminate and the power to determine our own validity. It feeds back into yeah. the earliest conversation about perfection. It's interesting when you when you say like you know who are you to accept? It's like that yeah. Groucho Marx quote, isn't it? I don't oh, want to yeah. be a member of a club that would accept me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that yeah. that's that's the truth. You got to be who you who you you yeah. got to be, and 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 it takes an enormous amount of strength to do that depending on the community that but, you're from. There will be times, there will mm. be times, you know, why, why can't I do this more? Why can't I do this less? You know, why can't I be more? Sure. Fuck that. Yeah, I'm fuck amazing. It. Yeah, fuck it. I, what I have done and what I have been through and what I'm going to go on to do is this, the new, is this the new you talking? Is this yeah. the you from last year talking? I, well, I think it's been a, like a little journey. I yeah. think uh, like last year was a really big moment for me yeah. to like kind of... See it. Yeah, but then, it, yeah, it's kind of, it's taken its time. I think my lowest point was the millennium and that's when I sought help for my issues mm. and then it's just been, yeah, this little, you know, growth. And, you know, there's ups and downs, isn't there? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've got to this point and, yeah. So, Mel, you've, you've given us two brilliant words so far, perfect and acceptance. What, what, what's your third word? I'm not even going to build this one up. I'm just going to say it. Antwacky. Antwacky. <laughs> I haven't heard that word for years. Antwacky. Because I'm gonna. Because I, I feel like I'm intruded on a personal, a personal thing here. So I, I'm not gonna do the definition because that's for you two to explain to me. I think I, I'm not gonna do the etymology of it. Uh, I'm going to let you tell me. The only thing I'll, I'll quickly do is a quick bit about the scouts. Got a quote with the it. Scouts. <laughs> well, I've got a quote for you. I've got a, I've got lots of quotes. I'll give you one. Some of this gear looks right and twack. 
And then another one more. We all agreed it was a bit unswacky, a bit of Liverpool dialect that Mr. Epstein was. And then just something about a Scouse accent because I, I love to hear you two discussing this word. Liverpool originally a small fishing village. It developed to support trading uh, principally with Ireland. There were several languages and dialects in Liverpool until a century ago. People kept their own songs. And up until the arrival of the Irish, it's thought that the Liverpool dialect was broadly similar to all other Lancastrian towns that had a, a Viking sound to it. It's all there in the place names. And there is a theory that it may or may not be interesting. You. Gerald Knowles, who's a linguist who studied the urban dialects of Scouse, says that that nasal quality that's in the Scouse accent comes from there was particularly poor public health in the 19th century uh, in Liverpool. So uh, it sounds unlikely, but there's a lot of evidence for this that there was a, almost a permanent state of, of illness or, or, and people having colds. And so children grew up hearing that in the parents' voice, and it was appropriated, and is now part of the dialects, and it's, I think that's unique in um, dialects in this country. What, living in a shitty Living in a shitty <laughs> well, yeah, but then turning a cold into an accent. Turning a cold into an accent. So tell us what antwacky means, a pair of you. Well, antwacky means old-fashioned, yeah. doesn't it, really? Uh, I think it... it Probably comes from antique. It does. It's a it's yeah. a, it's it's com combination. It's a, apparently it's a humorous alteration of antique and wacky. Yeah, it's uh, a punning okay. reference. Yeah, it's a bit antique. Yeah. That's, so, so you to I mean, you were talking about quotes there, and it would appear you know, you mentioned Epstein, so whether they're the Beatles quotes or whatever, but it's the kind of thing where if you put clothes on that are, are out of fashion, oh, that's a bit antique, isn't it? You know, yeah. do I'll give you the thing that's antique. Doilies. <laughs> A doily is Antwacky. I've got another thing that's Antwacky. Do you remember those dolls with the knitted skirts you put over the bog row? Oh, the that's bog well Antwacky. In fact, even tea cozies are Antwacky. So that just to me, to me means out of date. So yeah. you just understand that meaning as yeah. out of date. Yeah. There's no other connotation about no, it's it. It's still fashion though. Okay. Yeah. okay. But the reason I wanted to talk about Antwacky is because, you know, I love Scouse and, you know, Scouse words and a lot of the phrases that we use you know you can you can say it to anybody in the UK you know being in London you can say oh I'm, I'm made up do you know what yeah, it means yeah. oh you've got a cob on do you know what it means and people usually go yeah but if you ever say I'm twacky they're like oh, no, no, no. It's, it's the only word that anybody's brought in in all the shows that we've done if I don't know it I can work out it's absolutely no idea I've never heard it spoken so that's one that's not travelled then right oh no that's a word like, like Melanie's you know, my wife, mm. Melanie, the other Melanie, like, <laughs> is, is from Manchester. You know what? I'm not even sure that she knows what it is, but but it is a, it's a word that my mum says. It's a word <laughs> of my childhood. It's a word that means so much to me. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you brought it <laughs> because it, it's like it's like a little bit where you go, I hope that word carries on. Yeah. I hope generations and generations because I've said it to my kids I, I use that word mm -hmm. what I want to ask you both because I'm not going to have this opportunity I don't think again as an outsider there's always been uh, I mean, there's different stereotypes of Liverpool and we're all aware of them all different reasons one thing that Liverpool has always been throughout my life in all its various guises is in and of itself I don't know any town with a, with a more developed sense of itself and a more resolutely unique, and well, it's in the language. And I the, wonder what you think that is. Well, there's two sides to that, and I think Mel will, will have her own view on this as well, because 
we've both spent most of our time outside of Liverpool. So you grow up as a child, like I grew up in Runcorn and Widnes and places on the periphery. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. So then there's a thing called the Scouse Police where they go, Ah, yeah, but you're not in... You didn't grow up with a postcode begin with L. You're a so wall. You're a wall. You're a plazzy. You're a wall. You're a plazzy Scouser. You're a wannabe. And so, so there is that little element of how Scouse thinking you be to be called Scouser. But obviously, if you carry our accents around with you, you mm-hmm. what, that's what you are to the rest of the world. There's, there's a lot of truth in what you say, though, that if you were to take, uh, you know, the, the M62 ends at the rocket, which is the pub at the bottom, and if you cut the country it, oh, off a, a, at the it, rocket oh. and just sent yeah. everyone off and left everything yeah. that's west of the rocket, which is just Liverpool... Yes. It wouldn't need anyone no, else. No, no, it doesn't. No, but that's... <laughs> that, that, honestly, see, to don't me, think it needs see, anyone. To me, that, I'll tell you what, I think you've hit the nail on the head for me. That's the thing about Liverpool. They are convinced of their own autonomy. Yeah. They're, they are not... Sheffield, Sheffield's got its own feeling. I know what it means. We've all got that. Liverpool seems to me to be... Well, a lot of people have got contrived indifference. Do what you want, knock yourself out. Liverpool genuinely does seem to me like... A, it feel, it's always felt like a big party somewhere that's going on with it so you can hear it going on you can go and visit it you can go in and have a look around but it's not see you both carry it round with you it's indefinable i think do you know what i think's really interesting about people from liverpool i've lived in london i mean i, I have lived in london longer than i yeah. lived up that way in the northwest i grew up in witness and Runcorn, funnily enough. I meet people from Manchester, in London, all over the world. I meet people from Sheffield. I meet all these people from all these different cities and towns in the UK. You hardly ever meet a Scouser other than in Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like they don't need to go anywhere else. There's one in Brighton. I've, just thought I've been there for 10 years and I know it was in the hairdressers. And I remember thinking, what are you doing here? And there's all sorts of people in Brighton yeah. from everywhere. Oh, listen, like, like I, you know... It, it's like I remember when I first started travelling, and my brother said, well, what, 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 are you, what, "What are you going for? What, you know, I was, yeah, but why are you <laughs> going? Why are you leaving? Well, I was travelling all over America and driving cars and just experimenting. Yeah. But what, what are you doing now? Yeah. And there's a little bit. It's about and it's inbred. It's like we've got everything there. Yeah. And there's also that little bit of of, of back to the walls and the Irishness and there's the, the the family and stuff. But this, and this is why picking a word like that, did you pick that word as a reflection to that, if you like, scouseness? Or did you pick that word as a reference to your childhood? Or did you just pick it because it's so <laughs> great? Like it's, like, it's like one of those things, you know, you see pantos in Liverpool, they'll always have an ant. Twacky is the <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I think what I saw was the, the laughter the laughter the laughter that I, I've not I've known you 20 years I, and I've heard all the types of laughter I know what your laughter's usually mean I'm pretending to laugh or oh, that's funny I've never heard that laugh in my life 
Well, she said the word, That's and right, you yeah. laughed. Yeah, yeah. You, you oh, I'm so glad. I, I'm again. so glad I don't know the words in advance. <laughs> this is the yeah, music. that is it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, because I think it was just that thing that it was the only. I did want to bring a Scouse word, and it was the only word I could think of that no one ever knows what I'm going on about if I use it. Because uh, most of the other, you know, Scousisms are quite well known. It's funny because Angela Rippon was going to bring that <laughs> word. <wasn't she? laughs> we got to knock her back. So we also asked people to bring in one word they would gladly never hear again and explain why. Okay. Well, this word didn't used to bother me, but more recently it started to. And the word is flaunt. Why? Go on. Well, first off, nobody likes a show off. Do they? Yeah. And flaunt to me, you know, you're flaunting something, you're flaunting your wealth. But the reason why it started to irk me so much, and there are lots of other words that would be in this vein, but it's the way it's often used by tabloids. In the last few months, I think there's been a few photographs of Adele, who is very private. And these particular photographs of her were obviously really far away paparazzi shots or someone on an iPhone, really grainy. So she doesn't even want these photographs taking. But she's lost weight. And the papers want to say she's flaunting her weight loss. She isn't flaunting. She's just trying to have a nice yeah. time. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why it irks me. The showy offy nature of the flaunt. The showy offy. And just the misuse the of it. The judgmental. It's a judgmental it, word. Well, well, I like that. I like that. If you've got it, flaunt it. But if you've really got it, you don't need to flaunt it. Mm. That's good. That's good. But she wasn't flaunting no, she, it. No, no, it's she a different thing. She was just sitting no. there. She was just being, just being Adele, right? But that takes yeah. me on to how the tabloids write about women yeah. and the culture around that. It is you know, It is interesting, particularly when you talk, you, you refer to Adele and then you refer to your own time. And, and, and I, I don't know if a boy band would have been as scrutinised as a girl band no was. Way. I don't know whether... Male artists are ever exclusive, and it's difficult as a man because you don't see it. You know, obviously, I've got the f the filter of the fact that I'm a man, so I haven't got the sensitivity of knowing what it must feel like if you're a woman reading stuff about you. Mm. But I think there's definitely something that hopefully is changing, where you know, or I is thought, it? I thought it was, you know. So I went onto a very well-known website to just look for words because I thought this gets on my nerves a lot. I want to find a word here that really bothers me. And there was, you know, many, many pictures of young women, you know, whether they're in the bikinis, whether they're in the gym gear, whatever. And it's busty, it's leggy, it sizzles. And and I just think it's so fucking degrading. And yeah, these girls are beautiful and great. They, they can dress the way they want to dress, but why are they still written about like that? Like it's the 70s or something. It's so not of this time. It's weird. I think that's, and you know what? I've took something from that. Mm. I've took I've took something from from that that understanding because again, it's like everything else in culture. You don't realise what penetrates and what goes in and what what you skim over. I'd have skimmed over st comments like that, mm -hmm. and I would have skimmed over the word flaunt mm. as a kind of it's just another way of describing somebody being out. But it's not. There's more. To, it's more loaded than that. I mm -hmm. think. You've taught me something in everything that you've said. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, and that's the best thing you can get out of anything. So well, thank you very much. I think that's, oh, I think that's a perfect way of summarising this because I always love being with you, man. I want to be with you more and more because this is this has been Go great. Come round, have a wrestle uh, in the box. Have I a know, wrestle, I'm yeah. What do you like? Wrestling, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it, <laughs> Melanie. Melanie C. Mel Chisholm. <laughs> Mel, <laughs> thanks Funk. for being here. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've really no, enjoyed it's it. Magic, thank you. <laughs> well, I thought if there's nothing else happens during this run of doing this podcast, I actually don't care because for once I was there when something was born. When the word Antwacky was given <laughs> to the world. Was, yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> was birthed. Yeah. That was just... I mean, I love Mel and I love everything about her and the journey she's on and what she, what she does with that knowledge she's got. But for me, personally, that was... Honestly, that was just wonderful. The face that you pulled when she said that word, I've, I've never seen before. In 20-odd years, I've never seen it. I think you... You were, you were back to your childhood briefly, so that was magic. But I think my abiding one I'd say from that was that is about earning things. I don't mean earning like the success, because that's a different issue, stands alone, but she had wisdom and insight and empathy, and uh, more important than all of those, she had love in her, and she seems to me that everything she had in her eyes, uh, she'd earned. I didn't want to be disappointed when I met her, and uh, I wasn't. No, she was brilliant. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as John and I obviously did. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, share and like. And uh, just remains to say a massive thank you to our meat-free sponsor, Quorn. Super protein, super tasty. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th.